Each day, all over the world, thousands of healthcare learners experience the power of simulation. This is the BS Podcast. Wait, what? 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 Beyond Simulation. Exploring the stories of the people behind these masterfully implemented simulations. Each episode discovers the real stories of how these connoisseurs got into simulation and why they stayed. This is the Behind the Music podcast of the world of simulation. My name is Christine Park, and I'm the director of the Simulation and Integrative Learning Institute at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. And one thing that is not simulation about me is that I um, am starting a new planting project, starting to grow a bunch of vegetables from seed. It will remain to be seen if uh, anything actually grows. I can't wait to taste some stuff from your garden. Yay. And this, my name is Bob Kaiser. I am the associate director of SAIL. And one thing about me that is not simulation re related is that May 22nd, I'm going to be flying on the trapeze. I love trapeze and it's coming back to Chicago after COVID. So I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wish I had the courage for that. I, I feel like I would be really scared. It is so much fun anyway. <laughs> All right, Bob, are you ready to talk some BS? Bring it on. All right. Um, actually, before we, we get there, I do need okay. to tell you one thing. Oh, okay. Um, there once was a day of the year that brought about lots of good cheer. It happens each May, this wonderful day, and it was founded in honor of Lear. Today is National Limerick Day, May the 12th. Did you know that? I did not know that, but thank you for uh, that wonderful limerick. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite type of poetry? Oh, that's a great question. Um, not really poetry, but you know the sonnets, uh, especially the Shakespeare sonnets, are kind of what I'm, I, I kind of connect to. Um, but poetry, I guess I have to say my grandmother's poetry because she was a poet, so... <laughs> That's great. Both those things sound very far away from limericks. Yes. And what about you? What is yours? Uh, gosh, um, haikus. I'm ah. captivated by haikus. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, uh, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome our guest today, Dr. Tamara Owens. Tamara is the Director of Simulation and the Clinical Skills Center at Howard University. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and talking to both you and Bob. Yes, it's, it's good to see you. And people who are listening, we actually use a platform where we get to see people. So um, it's really good to see you. So thanks for being here. Yeah, it's good mm -hmm. to see you too. So uh, Tamara, what are three things that you are professionally known for? Hmm... Uh, let's see. Uh, I think I'm known for a lot of things. I'm going to say what I, I hope <laughs> others are saying <laughs> that I'm known for. Um, but I think first, I believe people uh, see me as being very direct. I don't um, do a lot of fluff and sugarcoating. I'm very direct at communication, at thought. Um, also, I think um, I'm known for being an achiever, someone who is, if I'm given a project or assignment, I deliver. 
Um, I'm not going to take it on unless I, I know I can see the um, me reaching the end. And I think surprisingly, people find that I am approachable. I do have a stoic face that may not uh, say that I am, but I think once they get to know me, they know that I'm approachable, um, I'm relatable. Um, and I think another thing that I found that folks uh, think about me is, is, is being more uh, conservative, professional type. I'm always in suits and things along those lines. So that, that doesn't help with my um, them believing that I'm approachable. So I think, I think that's what folks believe, <laughs> I hope. It's a great segue mm -hmm. to the next question, which is which is this. Um, because this is we're here to talk BS, uh, we'd like to talk about some things, okay. uh, some trivia or details about you that are not on your CV. And to do that, we have a random number generator for a number between one and five. And today, the lucky number is four. Tell us four bits of trivia or details about you that are not on your CV? Okay. Um, um, let's see. First, um, many in the field probably doesn't, do not know that I am a sorority girl. I am a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, the first black sorority. Um, I love that sorority. I, you probably notice I wear pink a lot and folks may not make the connection, but um, that's one thing folks don't know about me. Um, the other thing may be um, that I was once a flautist. I, I was very much um, into music um, growing up, even had a scholarship, um, and then that kind of went by the wayside. So I, I'm thinking I may take that up again. Um, oh, also that when I was younger, um, along that arts kind of um, theme, I was a ballet dancer. Wow. So those are things that you, won't, you would never know about me unless <laughs> you sit down and talk to me. So, yeah, I was very much into that as a uh, growing up. And it, my career ended probably when I was, I think I was 12 or 13 when I broke my ankle. Oh. It was oh. done. So that's three. What's a fourth thing? Oh, four. Um, well, before I came into academic medicine, I was studying uh, for the LSAT. Uh, my plans was to be a lawyer. Tamara, maybe you and me can both go back to law school because I also, I actually bought an LSAT book about five years ago. I haven't done anything with it, but. Did you really? <laughs> I don't know. After finishing um, PhD work, I'm I I don't want to read anything anymore. <laughs> She's like I'm done. <laughs> Nothing that serious, and that's a lot of reading. I actually had a, a one of my cohort members. We weren't even finished. We weren't even the comps, and he was suggesting that we apply to law school and just keep going. And I thought he was just crazy. He was mad. <laughs> Well, maybe we could find somebody who could just give us the degree. Really? Just, you know, give us the life experiences and, you know, give us some credits for that and, and, and an honorary. I'll take an honorary. I would too, definitely. 
Okay, so we heard a little bit about the ballet dancing, uh, that you were a flautist. Um, I want to go back and revisit that childhood. So they, they say that we all do, um, in some ways, keep our inner child with us throughout our whole lives. So who is Kid Tamara? Tell us about her. Wow. Um, who is Kid Tamara? You know, to be honest, when I was a child, I was very similar to how I am now, very focused, very serious. Um, I like um, to watch television. So I find myself, Kid Tamara would always find um, sitcoms that related to a family-oriented type life. So I watched a lot of television. Kid Tamara does that now. She watches the Westerns on Saturdays. Um, only cartoons that I will watch um, it are um, SpongeBob. <laughs> so from my childhood, Scooby-Doo, um, that's Kid Tamara. I, I, I am very selective, was then, and still am now, as to um, that inner child kind of... I always refocus it. So I really, Kid Tamara was still, it's like big Tamara, <laughs> serious and focused. Yeah, Tamara, you said that uh, Kid Tamara was selective. Can you tell me more about that? What do you mean by that? So if it didn't, I, I'm i going to give you this background. So my parents, there's about a 20-year age difference between them. My father was 20 years older than my mother. So I felt that, you know, I always gravitated to his um, more serious side. So if the kids were outside in the trees, climbing trees or running around outside, that would be fun for me for about 30 minutes. And then I would go and hang out with the adults because I wanted to hear what they were talking about and learn wisdom and, and ask questions and, well... Back then, he uh, he grew up in, uh, he was born in 1928, so you didn't ask many questions. You kind of just be quiet and silent. Kids don't really, they're invisible. So I would just learn from them. So I was selective on what I did. Um, and then my outlet became music and art. So I love music, all genres of music. And so in, high, in elementary school, that's when I started learning how to play the flute. Um, so I would, that's where my energy would go. So I'm, I was always selective on what I spent my time on and I'm still the same way now. So kid Tamara would climbing trees. Okay. I can go and play my flute. Um, or I can go and read a book, um, to learn something, or I can go and listen to the adults and see what they're talking about. Cause that, I probably could learn something. So very selective on my time and what I did. And I find myself now the same way. I'm selective. I don't, I just don't focus on things that I don't want to. <laughs> That's good. If you don't want to do it, you shouldn't do it. And it's probably boring. <laughs> you're, you're looking at me, you're t- thinking, oh my God, she's boring. She really not is. Not at all. <laughs> but that's, no. that's just how I am. Tamara, not at all. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, wow, this is someone who knows exactly what she wants and um, will will do what will do that, which I think a lot of people, I'm not sure if they do that. So actually I'm looking at you in awe and respect. So <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> I, and my friends always tell me, cut loose. You need to cut loose and relax. And I'm thinking, I am relaxed. <laughs> You're not relaxed because I'm not doing what you want me to do, but I'm fine. Right. Well, I'd love to hear a little more about the ballet, actually. 
What was that life like? Because I, I feel like I, I've watched some documentaries that talk about how difficult the, the discipline is and all that. Yeah. So I am from, I don't know if you know, I'm from Texas and I'm from Southeast Texas, Port Arthur, Texas. And every little girl in Port Arthur, Texas went to the Henderson School of Dance. Um, that was what we did. Ms. Henderson was African-American um, former ballet dancer herself, and she opened a school of dance. So that's what you did. So every Owens girl went to the Henderson School of Dance to learn ballet, tap, and jazz. And so that was a way in which we um, connected as cousins. And so, but I loved it. I loved the discipline of it. I loved making Mrs. Henderson, you know, proud, you know, with my arch. You know, I wanted to stand out. I've always been an achiever. I don't care what I do. I got to be number one. I don't know. I make it a competition to myself. And so I really, really loved it. So there's always a recital at the end of the year. Um, my dad, remember, he was 20 years older than my mom. He thought that was just foolish and nonsense that we were going to dancing school. And so, but I loved it. I loved the performances and getting ready for that. And unfortunately, um, my cousin, who was a bit older than I, the summer before I was about to start toe, um, gave me her old toe shoes. And so I decided to just start pirouetting on the carport. And that led to the tragic ankle breaking and my father's happiness because <laughs> before I was out of the hospital, he had boxed up everything and put it in the attic. He was like, your career's done. So I had to move on because I knew that that was not going to change him at all. So, But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so when we had the first black um, prima ballerina that just, uh, what was that, like two years ago, I thought, wow, that is just so awesome. And I thought about what if you didn't have that ankle break? Um, would, you know, would that have been you? But, you know, I'm just, you know, I love it. And I have a cousin who um, actually lived in Chicago. He was in the ballet and, and uh, Daryl, he's now in uh, LA, but art, arts is a part of us, even though my dad didn't want to, you know, you know, um, acknowledge it that arts the part of the Owens family that's that's in us as much as education is wow well since we are entitled beyond simulation I guess we should talk about simulation a little bit so um Tamara can you tell us just a little <laughs> bit about your journey and, and how you got into simulation yeah just like everyone else uh, <laughs> we all have a story right how did we cross over to the dark side? How did we get here? Because <laughs> it is definitely the dark, dark side. It's not what the students see as the final product. Um, but if you recall, I said I was actually studying for the LSAT. So when I finished my degree um, from the University of Houston, um, I decided I was already working at the University of Texas um, Health Science Center. I was already working there in Houston. And I decided to take a job as an administrative assistant in the medical school because I said, something's going on in the medical school. Let me just go hang out there. And so my hangout, um, by hanging out there, I was studying for the LSAT. And there was this African-American doctor who would pass by the door where I was because I was like the receptionist. So you could see everyone in the hallway and he would speak every day. And I was like, OK, one day, probably about a month or so later, he stopped. And he said, what are you going to do with your life? And I held up the book, the LSAT prep book. And I'm like, uh, studying for the LSAT. And he said, interesting. Why don't you meet me tomorrow for lunch? 
we need to talk. And I'm thinking, who is he? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I, you know, what do you want to talk about? So that lunch, he, uh, he and I went to lunch and he said, um, I think I have a job that you would really like. Um, it's a health education coordinator. He said, have you ever heard of standardized patients? And I'm like, no, never heard of that. He said, why don't you give this a try? And if you don't like it, then go ahead on and keep, continue to study for the LSAT. And so I took the job, not because I was interested in standardized patients, but because it paid more money and I had an office. Um, I didn't have to greet people because I'm really an introvert. Um, although people believe I'm an extrovert, I'm really an introvert. And so I took the job. He sent me to Galveston, right? To um, learn from those folks there. Cause at that time there was no ASPE back then. This is, I'm talking 1997, beginning 1998. There was no, might've been 1996. Um, there was no ASPE. So you would go to Galveston as a who you know kind of thing. And so they set me in the hallway in front of this mirror and there was a student and another person in there. And I'm going, okay, who, what is the standardized patient? Who is it? Which, what is this? But as I sat there, I started understanding something's happening in there. The student is talking. He, okay, what's going on? And I saw this, how the student was responding to getting things right. Because as they were asking questions of the patient, um, I understood that they were practicing, they were understanding their training. And so I went back to um, Houston, uh, back to UT, and I told, his name is Joe Bedford. Um, and um, I said, this is interesting. And that's kind of how it started. And then it was, let's do an OSCE. You know, back then we didn't have all these systems that we got now. You know, you did VH ta VHS tapes and a camera. And you didn't have a, a, a overhead announcement system. You were knocking on doors and ringing bells fast. You had two minutes to switch out the tape and knock on doors. And one point I said, I must really love this because this is this is a lot. This is a, <laughs> a lot back then. And we thought we was at the forefront because we had an observation room that had dedicated TV obser observing each exam room. But it was through that, um, that's how I came to be. Um, was just Dr. Joe Bedford. I don't know what he saw, but he knew it wasn't a lawyer. And he, he got me in there and I was hooked uh, on that. And that was the start of my career. Wow. Okay. So makes sense how you got going into simulation. So what keeps you in simulation? What personal passions keep you tied to this crazy business we call simulation? That is a very relevant question, given the pandemic we just went through right. and trying to survive that. We all, I think everyone in simulation is trying to figure out what's next. You know, I survived, um, but why am I staying in this? And I actually had an epiphany last week, you know, the last week in April. We had um, pharmacy simulation intensive week. Every day was pharmacy. I thought I was going to you know, I'm thought I was I thought I was gonna actually go mad. I was so tired. But there was one particular event. Um, we did a pharmacy escape room. And I loved being creative with that. And I recognize that what's what has kept me in this is being able to speak to a faculty member, understand their learning objectives, 
and how that how I can be creative and translate that into an immersive immersive experience for students that they get the learning objectives are achieved. But not only that, through my creativity, I'm able to give them skills that goes far beyond that escape room, far beyond the debrief that we have. It translates to the community and how they engage with the community. And at Howard University, our students are, um, the, the population at the hospital is predominantly black and brown. And so being able to make sure that they get those skills to treat minorities is really, really what's keeping me there. My creativity is having a community engagement in a way that can help dissipate healthcare disparities. One of the other things I, you know, in terms of community engagement, there was an advertisement that came on the listserv because um, I wanted to do something to serve someone. And the advertisement was looking for an SP educator to work with on a research team to go to South Africa. And they wanted to use standardized patients as um, unannounced standardized patients. And I thought, huh, this would be interesting. But I found I've worked with two different, three different PIs um, since 2013. And we've worked on projects looking at um, the services being provided um, to the population, um, how we can make the, that better. And I thought, wow, simulation is really making an impact here in South Africa. And to design unannounced, if you've ever been to some of these rural places and these clinics, uh, unannounced, trying to get them in and out when you're doing a paper system of documenting who comes in, that was just, I love that. So since then, I've been to Nairobi, we use um, standardized patients as unannounced um, in going in and helping with pediatric services in terms of HIV. And so working with 30 um, actors, the cultural actors that are there and transforming them into standardized patients, and they actually get it. They understand their, why they're a standardized patient, why it has to be unannounced. They understand the cases we developed. And I just think it's so magical um, how these PIs, and they're predominantly at the University of Washington, Seattle, Pam Kolar, Dr. Kolar, um, that I've worked with her, we were able to really make an impact. And there's several uh, journal articles that are being published of our work. But for me, it's about how my knowledge of SIM, my ability to train standardized patients and translating that into another country that's going to impact the service that they received in the clinic, whether or not these young people want to get PrEP or not get PrEP, change the mindset of those healthcare workers who have, there's a stigma about HIV and AIDS. Um, also pharmacy, the drugs that they dispense, helping to teach them more about PrEP using simulation. And so I feel like I'm making an impact in another country in a way. And so over the pandemic, I've been able to train virtually and meet people. So it's just been great. So that's that's why um, the community engagement is so important for me. That's amazing. And one of these days, I would love to see you in, in action, training some SPs. <laughs> it is different. It is different. Um, yeah. And trying to do it virtually, and you haven't met the actors, that was scary. That was scary for me. But we, we did it. Well, we'll see what the outcome state. <laughs> we'll see. But that was cool. It was cool.
would not have gotten a chance to become a doctor or a pharmacist at other institutions and be able to use my creative side to get them to uh, solidify all of their knowledge and training that they've had in a way in which they will then go out and impact communities that look like us, global communities. Um, that's one reason. And then the autonomy. Um, I am able to design my day, design um, the center mission, um, because no one can do what we do. If you really love it, you are the best at what you do. No one can do it. And I have autonomy. And like I said, no one's looking for me right now. They know that I will, <laughs> me and my team will produce <laughs> when we are able to produce. Tamara, can you say more about the, you mentioned the translation to the community. That's part of your vision. And I, I feel like a, a lot of the simulation community of practice is really waking up to that in these days. I wonder if you could say more about that. Well, Howard's mission um, has always been to serve the communities um, to ensure that that's our first and foremost priority is to ensure that all that we do, we're thinking about um, the social and environmental determinants of health and how um, we can infuse that into the curriculum. It, it, it's in us. It's just automatic. When I first came to Howard, I didn't get it because I worked at a PWI, right? And so that was not really what we did in a certain way. Um, it was, but it wasn't. But at Howard, it's an everyday thought about the community. Everything that we do, it's about how can we serve the community. And so being in the simulation field, I think about that when the faculty approach me with different projects, with ideas. I'm thinking, okay, how are our students going to connect this to what they need to do when they are serving our populations? Yes, they're going to go to other communities, you know, all of these um, residency programs and around the world. But our students, when they have spring break, they do spring break abroad where they're in Africa, they're in South America, they're in places where normal students um, may not go because we want them to be servant leaders. We want them to make sure that they are always connected with the community. And I want to be a part of that in simulation, making sure that I give them that. So if I'm asked to recruit um, some uh, standardized patients from a certain community, I'm really going to go and find out how to get um, Ethiopian uh, community culturally, you know, um, SPs and my trainers. I have to, and I have to, your staff, because not everyone gets it yet, but at every staff meeting, I make sure they understand the connection to the community and what we do. That's amazing. And it's uh, so inspiring. Um, so now we're going to turn the corner a little bit. And uh, here's, a new, here's a question for you, which is, if you were prevented from doing anything that you do now professionally, so nothing in simulation, nothing in education, um, what would you be doing? And then for the sake of this exercise, there's no financial worries whatsoever. It's interesting you say that because yesterday was the 40th anniversary of the passing of Bob Marley. Did you know that? I think I saw that, yes. 
Okay, good. So what I would do, I always tell my friends, um, there's two sides of me. One, I would be on the beach selling fruit in a mud hut. That's what I would be doing. Just somewhere looking at water. And then the other side of me wants to be in Lake Como in a villa looking at water. So water has something to do with where I'll be. Just sitting and not thinking about anything. Life is easy. Um, I would have some sort of community service attached to this mud hut and the fruit selling. The proceeds would go to the local elementary school or whatever that community needs. And the same if I'm, if I'm in Lake Como, I would be find a way in which to serve the community. So it would be easy breezy life. I love that. Tamara, you and I are of the same thought. I, I would love to be along the ocean teaching scuba or just relaxing. And, and oh, that sounds perfect. So I am with you. Yeah. And it has to be a spa somewhere there because I, I could live at a spa. So <laughs> <laughs> spas are nice. <laughs> um, okay. So Tamara, one really cool thing about simulation is that we can do scenarios over. Um, and of course, in real life, we can't you know, redo moments in our lives. But what if we could? What if we could take moments and just redo them? So thinking about your life, what is one thing that you would do over or do differently? Okay. Okay. I, could, I always wanted to live out east. And so... Um, I've only been out here 12 years. Have If I had it to do over again, I would have pursued universities in the East um, as opposed to staying in Texas for as long as I did. So that's one thing that I would definitely do again. I would be out here sooner rather than when I got here. But I do believe in d- divine plans. And I believe that God had it already mapped out that in 2009, I was coming to the DMV area. That is where I was supposed to be at that time, not before, because I probably wasn't ready. Hmm. I, I, I believe the same. But tell us a little bit more about why the East, like you're drawn to the East. At first, it was to have a winter. As you know, I live in Southeast Texas, Port Arthur, Houston. We really don't have a winter, despite the bitter cold that took place and really devastated that area. That is abnormal, abnormal. And I wanted to experience seasons, to have seasons and to be on a university lawn and see the leaves and all of that. Life was just going to be great. Uh, To be close to New York, to go to shows, um, to go up to Maine. I just wanted that aspect. And now... Flip question, what is one thing that you would absolutely do the same? I believe, I don't think I would, um, I believe my journey in simulation. I wouldn't change that. And here's why. In the beginning of sim, my journey in sim, um, I got to experience the founders in a way in which I believe simulationists today will never get an opportunity to do. These men and women were so brilliant, so steadfast, so true to our field in a way in which 
um, they got to give it to me to hope to talk to the younger generation about if they receive it, that that's on them. But I wouldn't change my journey because I loved it back then. Yes, it was hard. Um, I remember the first time I went to Peggy Wallace's house, I was with Linda Prakowski and we took a trip to San Diego um, and Karen Garman. And I didn't recognize when I first got there, she was like, oh yeah, we're going to meet Peggy. And I'm thinking, Peggy Wallace? And yeah, we hung out. Peggy showed me all of San Diego. But how many of the new individuals coming into the field will have that opportunity to sit down with a Peggy Wallace, a Linda, a Karen, Delia Anderson, who, you know, if you know Delia, that, that is my friend, you know, they won't get that experience and the wisdom that comes from not only understanding the field that we're in, but understanding how to be a woman in academic medicine at a, when it's predominantly male and how to survive the steadfastness of that. So I would not change my journey. The the wonderful people that mentored me, Anya Rob from Canada, um, that whole Canada crew, I love them. Um, Jenny Strzok in, in Seattle, you know, all Mary Cantrell, oh my goodness. So many, Jan Yost, being on the board back then was something awesome and I learned so much as a professional. So I would not change my journey. I would not do anything different. It was what it was supposed to be in order to make me and to who I am now. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad about that. And my meeting Joe Bedford, how, who would have known I would have met Dr. Bedford. And it turned out he is a Howard alum. Did not know that. (laughs) Did not know that. But it every, that's what I mean about divine plans for your life. Um, but I wouldn't change my journey through the hardships, working with Karen Lewis when she was at Baylor. Um, we did some crazy moulage working on the weekends, 14, 15 hours. Um, cause again, no one knew what you did, but you got to do it right. Um, I wouldn't change it. I just, I just love that journey. i I, I think it's, while it's true that the younger generation might not get to, um, meet some of the folks that you mentioned, they will get to meet and learn from uh, Dr. Tamara Owens. I do have that prediction. I feel fairly, fairly confident about that prediction. <laughs> I hope. I just hope they listen. <laughs> you know, too much. I want, The forward movement with the uh, individuals coming in is what is needed, but I want them to appreciate the path in order to, that affords them the opportunity to move forward in ways in which um, they can now, but be- because of all those individuals back in the day. Oh, and Gail Gleva. How can I met- That's my pal, Gail Gleva. That's my girl. <laughs> wow. Um, what a journey you have had. I-, I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. So, uh, Tamara, I'm hoping that you're up for a little bit of fun with us. Um, we're going to switch gears a little okay. bit. And um, <laughs> as she says, okay, nervously. Um, so what this <laughs> is, is that we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. And we're going to just ask you some simple questions. And you can just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. No stress. 60 seconds. That's a little dangerous. Questions. <laughs> 
I know we're living on the edge, but you can do it. Okay. So with that in mind, I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock. Um, and I will start with the first question and then Christine, I will go back and forth. Here we go. 60 seconds. So first question, are you an introvert or extrovert? I am an introvert. Our jobs make us an extrovert, but I am an introvert. (laughs) TV watching Tamara, what shows are you watching right now? HGTV, Good Bones, (laughs) Hometown, and Property Brothers. I watch it 24 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So are you a cat or dog person? Neither. When you go to work, who is the first person you see? Ms. Johnson. She is our operations manager. Great. Okay, so time is up, but I want to ask you one final question. What is your go-to guilty pleasure? Vodka. (laughs) Do you have a favorite (laughs) brand? Tito's. I'm from Texas. Uh, yes. Tito's. <laughs> Excellent choice. All right. So we're rounding the corner to, uh, to wrap up. And I wanted to uh, ask you about one person who is meaningful to you in your life. And you, you mentioned a lot of people, but uh, this could be one person that you know or admire. Um, what is something that you learned from them? I would have to go back to my parents because I learned different things from them. Um, Again, there was a 20 year age difference. And so from my mother, I learned um, to try to have a sense of humor. My most, uh, most of my life's lessons and, and things I learned was from my father who passed away in 2013. And so what I learned from him was integrity. What I learned from him is that you don't cry over things. You find a solution. You make a decision. It didn't turn out right. Find the solution and move on. Forward movement. He was about morals being, you know, one of his um, favorite saying was ladies always carry handkerchiefs. So I always have a handkerchief wherever I go. He was very proper that way. And so I learned a lot about being an adult from him and taking care of business and not crying over spilt milk. Whereas my mother would be in the background going, oh, let the milk stay there. We'll get it later. And we're both looking at her like, I don't think so. We're cleaning up this milk right now. (laughs) But forward movement, integrity and treating people with kindness and always believing that there is hope. Oh, and get your schoolwork done. Education. That is an Owens thing. You have to, you have to get your education. That that's important. Wow. Uh, I, I would have loved to have met your father. Wow. So um, as we're, as Christine said, we're, we're getting near the end of this episode, but uh, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I just, I want to know what is one hope you have for simulation in the future? My hope is that it 
find its heart and not become too commercialized and find its roots and foundation in what its purpose is. And that is to change the, not change, but to develop healthcare professionals and not just healthcare professionals, it could, regardless of discipline, but professionals um, into competent, compassionate professionals that care about their communities, care about whatever profession, if that's law, medicine, dentistry, health sciences, but get back to the root of it. The commercialization and the, and you know, it, it's, it's about relationships with people. It's about how you can transform, help and assist and transform in your respective place to make the world a better place. So I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that we get back to um, networking without a return on investment. I feel like it's it's, it's starting to come a little bit transactional in our field. And that saddens me because that's not how we, that's not who we are. And that's not how we began and how we were able to get this far. We're not a transactional situation. We are. We all have hearts. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Really well said and so true. Well, Dr. Tamara Owens, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Beyond Simulation. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. The hour went by really, really quick. And to everyone out there listening, thank you for joining us and tune in for the next episode of Beyond Simulation. This is Christine Park and Bob Kaiser signing off.